Right. Um, today's reading is from Second Peter chapter one, verse one to eleven. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Though through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does, does, does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm to your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the internal kingdom, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. Thank you for the reading. Well, it really is such a joy to be with you ladies this morning. So this morning, as you can see, we are in 2 Peter um, and the letter of 2 Peter. And just to set the scene a little bit before we dig in, um, it's, it's a letter to God's people scattered throughout the provinces of Asia and living as exiles. And Peter is coming to the end of his life. And it's interesting, when somebody comes to the end of their life, they kind of want to tell you things that are important. You know, they're not going to deal with any nitty-gritties. It's things that are really of value and importance that they want you to know before they pass on. Um, and Peter wants them to give them a word of encouragement about what's important. And the challenges that these exiles faced was false teachers, persecution, and misplacement. And so in his first letter, Peter encourages them in the gospel and reminds them to stand firm in the true grace of God as they face that persecution. So in 1 Peter, the theme of the message of, of the letter of 1 Peter is stand secure in the hope that you have. And as we come to the letter of 2 Peter, his overall theme is never stop growing in that hope that you have. So if you're unsure of what your hope is, go to 1 Peter. If you know what your hope is and you want to know how to grow, come to 2 Peter. And there are three main sections in this letter of 2 Peter. There's a call to maturity, which is chapter uh, 1, verse 1 to 11. There's a call to discernment, which is chapter 1, verse 12 to 2, verse 22. And a call to readiness, which is chapter 3. And we'll be looking at the two bookends of that. Um, we'll be looking at chapter 1, the call to maturity, and chapter 3, the call to readiness. On this, in the second talk, I will touch a little bit about what's happening in chapter 2, just so we can set our, set our course and we know that the theme of the whole letter. But before we get into that, let's just pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with expectant hearts. Lord, this is your word and it's a living word. And so, Lord, we expect to hear from you. You are a living God in our hearts, and so, Lord, we expect our hearts to respond to this word. So, Lord, I do pray that as we have come here on a Saturday morning after a busy week where a lot has happened, um, Lord, I pray that we're able to put some of those things aside, that we're able to listen with attentive ears as to what you have to say. Lord, the beauty of your word and the beauty of the fact that you are a living God is that you know every single one of us. You know what we bring here this morning. We know, you know the joy in our hearts. You know the fear in our heart. You know the doubts, the fears, the dreams that have been shattered, the disappointments. You know us intimately. And so, Lord, we want to know you more this morning. So show us your heart, and we ask this in your precious name. Amen. So, as I mentioned, my mum kept praying, um, and my husband eventually became a bishop, um, a presiding bishop. Um, for those of you who don't know what that means, it's a position that he holds um, that oversees 150 churches uh, here in South Africa and 100 churches in Southern Africa. That's part of the family you're with, by the way, which is also really great to lift our eyes sometimes and to realize we're part of a far bigger kingdom than what we see on a Sunday morning. He often engages on an international level, um, he's on many boards, he sits in many meetings, and he's the guy that they call um, when no one else wants to make the hard calls. It is a prestigious position, and because of that, often people presume that they know Glenn, because maybe they've met him once. They, they tend to uh, misunderstand the position for Glenn. So because they know the position, they think they know who he is. And so they assume to speak on on his behalf. And on more than one occasion, we've heard the bishop says you can't do this, or the bishop says you must all do this. We've even heard that the bishop is unfair, the bishop is unfriendly, the bishop is unfriendly, (laughs) the bishop is too busy, the bishop's approachable, the bishop's unapproachable, (laughs) the bishop is harsh, the bishop is kind, the bishop is racist, the bishop is woke. We've heard them all. But I, on the other hand, know him, and I know him personally. We've lived together, as I said, for 30 years. In October, it'll be 30 years this year. We've grappled through career choices. We've survived lean student years, and now with our children going through student years. We've rejoiced and we've cried through parenting, ministry jobs, changes, moving, and many, many more day-to-day things. We've seen each other at our best and our worst. I know his strengths and his weaknesses. And because I have an intimate knowledge of him, it means I can, I can speak confidently. Up, I can speak up for him. Glenn has shown me his heart, so I know him. I can testify about him. I can witness for him. And I can defend him. Because I know Glenn not just the position he holds. And Peter wants us to know God, not the position he holds. I'm often struck by how bold and confident this opening statement is in 2 Peter. He says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord and Savior. And two things stand out for me. We can only have grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus. Think about that. The world is always after world peace, 
The only way through peace is through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we can have it in abundance. Think about these believers, scattered, confused, lost, exiles, and they faced this opposition. And I'm pretty sure they were not feeling like they had an abundance of grace and peace. Life was hard. Life is hard. I know for me, when life is hard, it can often feel more like the empty Tiervatus Kloof Dam um, than the overflowing Tugela Falls in the rainy season. And you guys have just experienced that, where there's been floods in the Kruger. That's the abundance that Peter is talking about here. But his confidence doesn't come from what the believers are able to do. It comes from his faith in what God has done. So have a look at verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life. And so firstly, we see that we can participate in the divine nature. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Peter says that the Christian life centers around the knowledge of Jesus. This is the foundation statement of his whole letter. Three times he says it in, his, in this passage, in verse 2, in verse 3, and in verse 8. The very source of our godly life is knowing God, meaning that we can't function without it. Think about a river. If there's no source to the river, there's no river. So through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, not our achievements, not our good works, our church attendance, our baptism certificate, confirmation certificate, not our ministry, it's not anything we do but in our personal relationship with our relational God. And I know we know this. Many of us know this. We sit in good Bible-teaching churches, and yet we struggle to live it out in our daily lives. Relationships are hard work. It means I have to be vulnerable. Vulnerable with my doubts, with my fears, with my anxieties. It means I must listen It means I must be patient and not rush the process. It would be much easier if you could fast track it and punch in step one, two, three, and a solution would pop out. Think of any of your relationships. Where do relationships grow? With time, with listening, with trusting the process of wanting to know the person more. And we live in a world where you don't want to deal with people. We don't want to deal with them face to face but on machines and online. I don't know, maybe it's a generational thing. Um, my daughter wanted to sort something out at the bank. Of course, I just will like, go into the bank and sort it out. She was horrified. She was like, why would I do that when I can go online and I don't have to see anyone face to face? I was like, okay, that's a whole new thing. <laughs> Not sure what to do with that over there. Relationships are hard, even the informal ones, because they cost. They cost us. And I think that's sometimes our fear in our relationship with God. It's going to cost me. Because as I sit with him, with the word open, he's going to deal with my heart. It's going to cost. 
and knowledge of Jesus is not just a light bulb moment or a prayer said once years ago. The call is from God, a call to be in a lifelong participation of being transformed. And when we encounter Jesus, you are changed because it's an effective call, so effective it awakens us from the dead. The power of God's call can be seen in our own lives and in the lives of others when the gospel is preached. Because when the gospel is preached, God calls and people respond. And the power is not something we just plug in when we feel like we need it. It's a relationship that we have. The more you know him, the more power you have. And the more power you have, the more you know him. Peter's warning is that godliness and eternal life cannot be separated. So if you're living a good life but do not know Jesus, you are morally good and you do not have eternal life. That was the state I was in up until, up until I was 25. I thought I lived a pretty good life. If you think you know Jesus but there's been no transformation, no desire to know him more, then you are still relying on your works and do not have eternal life. It's not possible to be godly and leave God out of the picture. Only God can make people godly. It's in the name, godly. And the beauty of this is that it makes us part of the divine nature. What a privilege. Have a look at verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. His divine power is making you more like Jesus through his glory and his goodness or his moral perfection. So when Christ calls us to himself, we become conscious of the beauty and the loveliness of God's moral character. God's character becomes exceedingly more attractive to us and leads us to know him more. And Peter takes time in chapter 1 and 2 to draw out the distinction between believer and unbeliever. One of the clear marks of the believers is that they will be morally transformed by the grace of God. Quite opposite to the false teachers of the day, whose lives were marked by moral anarchy and destruction. In this now-not-yet time, while we wait for Christ's return, we are being sanctified, made more like Jesus. But in that day when he returns, we will be transformed perfectly into his likeness. On that great and glorious day, our divine natures will be complete. We can be sure that God will be faithful in completing the task. We can be sure because he has started the task and he will complete it because he's begun this great and precious promises given to us in the gospel. That's how we know that he will complete it. If Christ does not return, as the false teachers were claiming, then there is no full likeness of Christ attained, which makes the gospel a sham. So Peter is strong on these doctrines because they are the very foundation of our faith and give us great assurance. Because when Christ returns, we will be perfectly 
morally seen. But what does that mean for us now while we wait? So Peter doesn't allow us to sit back and say, well, if it's God's power, then I can sit back and do nothing. Three times in this letter, he says, make every effort. And so secondly, we see our progress in the divine nature. Have a look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. I know this is basic, but verse 5 and 7 come after 3 and 4. Peter hasn't suddenly started, changed his mind and said, okay, yes, I said that there, but this is now we're going to a worst-based gospel. No, what Peter is saying is that because Christ has given you everything that you need for godliness, live in a way that pleases him. The more you know him, the more you will desire to please him. And the more you desire to please him, the more you will know him. So as we read this list of virtues for godly living, there should be something quite familiar about them. Does it remind you of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians when Paul is talking to the Galatian church? Godly living is shown by living out the fruits of the Spirit. There's an outward evidence of an inward transformation. So verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith. Verse 8, possess these qualities in increasing measure. The godly character is not passive or stagnant. Why? Because it's a living relationship and not a list of things that we can get right. And when we look at the chain of virtues, it's helpful to see them as a logical progression. Peter starts with faith because trusting God is at the root from which all the other virtues spring, which we looked at. It's when you rely on God and his promises and that makes us live out in a new way, as we saw in verse 4. And then he says, add to your faith goodness or moral excellence, knowledge. We've already seen that knowledge of him is the source and the power of our godly life. So what happens when I put that knowledge into practice? I exercise (laughs) self-control. The very definition of self-control is not giving in to the sinful desires. And so we exercise self-control when we put God's word into practice. The very thing the false teachers were not doing that end of the day. They were very quick to point out the law and yet live as they pleased. Living lives of greed and lust and giving in to sinful desires. Perseverance or steadfastness. If you are exercising self-control, resisting the desires of the sinful heart, then you are persevering. You are choosing to hold on to the promises as you are faced with the corruption of the world. When the circumstances around you tell you that God doesn't care, you hang on to the promises. That's perseverance. That's steadfastness. It's not about getting it perfectly right every time, but it is the desire to want to turn to God, asking him to remind you of the promises and trusting that he is with you in the storm. And then godliness. Godliness, growing in moral character of God or growing in Christ-likeness, happens when you are persevering. Mutual affection, concern for one another. Concern for one another of different races, status, economic background, and even social backgrounds. 
and then love, which is the key to the Christian virtue. It is the very core of the gospel. Christ who showed love to undeserving sinners. We recognize a Christian as someone who puts his or her selfish desires aside and seeks to place others' needs before their own, which again takes place through the knowledge of him. And if we are growing in these virtues in increasing measure, it makes us effective witnesses for what Christ has done. For if you, verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So I think what struck me about these verses is that it doesn't say ineffective and unproductive in your godly life. It says ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of him or in your interpersonal relationship with him. Again, we come back to the more you know him, the more you grow. And the more you grow, the more you know him. And when that's not happening, we've forgotten the gospel, as we were reminded in verse 8. And you know, I'm not talking about forgotten the gospel in our heads. Most of us know the gospel really well. But our hearts have forgotten who we are and have forgotten who our God is and forgotten how much he loves us, forgotten that he is not a stingy God, but he's a God of abundance and love and generosity and kindness and mercy and grace. So this leads us thirdly to practicing the divine nature, verse 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter Peter wants us to take decisive action. And the way you do that is by putting into practice the virtues listed above, which we are only able to do as we know him which we are only able to do if we practice, our, practice the virtues, which we are only able to do if we know him, which we, you get the picture. So his encouragement to the believers who are cultivating their relationship with God moment by moment is that they will never fall away from him. What a comfort to know that when doubts, fears, and anxieties come, he is with us reminding us of his promises, and giving us everything we need. The reward for for whom these virtues abound is to be welcomed into the kingdom. It will be a rich welcome, receiving much more than we deserve. We will receive grace upon grace upon grace. I'm not sure how many of you remember the movie Goodwill Hunting, um, so, old movie, um, and Matt Damon plays a young, gifted man um, who has uh, never been to college and yet absorbs. He just has this incredible mind, almost like a savant, and he is just able to restore uh, or, or store uh, things in his memory. So, he's able to read a book and it just it stays, you know. Um, and so, he devours books. He devours knowledge. And he has all this knowledge in his head. But he's arrogant, <laughs> and he uses his knowledge to humiliate people, and largely the, the students in his class. Um, 
and, and his professor, who is played by Robin Williams. And in one particular scene, he uses his head knowledge of psychology and exposes the professor's inner struggles. And Robin Williams is devastated by this and completely humiliated. And the next day, Robin Williams calls him to meet with him. And they're sitting on a park bench. And he says to this young guy, you think you're such a hotshot because you have all the knowledge that you've read all the books. You've read all the books about psychology and art and war and history and anything else you can get your hands on. But you've never left your hometown. You don't know what the Sistine Chapel smells like or the sensation you feel as you gaze up at Michelangelo's masterpiece. You know about war because you've read about it. But you never had to be in one, to know what it smells like, to know what it feels like, to hold your dying friend in your hand, to live on rations, to live in trenches, and to know the brotherhood that comes from being in war together. You know all the manuals about relationships. You've, you've read Shakespeare. You can quote Shakespeare. But you don't know what it's like to look into someone's eyes and know that you truly love them and that they love you. To walk a journey with them as they struggle with cancer. And in effect, you have information, but you know nothing. True knowledge of God is more than Bible knowledge. It's experience. It's experience in grappling of application, of fighting sin, of working at relationships, of digging into God's word, and grappling with living it out in the hardships of life and ministry, in love and in despair. Do you know God? Or do you just know the position that he holds? Today you can know him. You can know him and have that personal relationship with him. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that that you loved us so much that you sent your son. How much more personal does it get than that, Lord? That you sent your son to face your wrath, to pay the penalty for our sin. Oh, Lord Jesus, let us be gripped by that once again. Lord, forgive us for, for those times that we think that we can grapple through our things on our own. Forgive us for those times when we don't come to you because it's too hard and we know that it's going to cost and you know you're going to expose what's in our hearts. But Lord, we also know that when we come to you, you show us your heart and you show us who you are. And we know you more. And we know the richness of that and how our relationship with you then grows. How we then change and are transformed. So Lord Jesus, be at work in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for what you have exposed this morning. Thank you for the encouragement that you give us. And thank you for the reminder of how much you love us. And we ask this in your precious name.